Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. Living with buildings, the architecture of practice. I wanted to call this the architecture of practice rather than the practice of architecture because I want to talk a little bit about the shape of architectural practice and the shape of the projects that determine our built environment. And quite a long time ago now, I went into architecture because I was a bit puzzled by this question. Um, I looked around, the, the, looked around where I was living and I thought, well, the buildings aren't great. They could be better. Um, and it's still a, still a question that troubles me a little bit. I think the, the buildings we deliver could be a little bit better than they are. Could be a lot better than they are in some cases. Um, but being as this is being recorded, you can add your own image. <laughs> One has to be careful these days. Um, but I'm sure you've probably got a building you're living in, you're working in, you drive by every day, uh, that you think, well, actually, that could be a little bit better than it is. And there's probably some reasons why it's not quite as good as it should be. Oops. Okay. So, you know, the question is why? And it still puzzles me, and I think a lot of architects who come into, a lot of students come into architecture probably are driven by a similar question. And we spend around about 90% of our time in buildings, and when we're outside, it's very difficult to get away from buildings, unless you're really out in the countryside. Uh, so the, the, they influence the shape, the space we're in as, as well. But we have some good examples, and I'm, what I've done tonight, I've tried to put some photographs in from... Uh, my, they're all my photographs, they've not been photoshopped or anything, but I'm trying to have some photographs you're probably not that familiar with because you're probably used to seeing the same old photographs every time. Uh, but this is a low-carbon building, it generates its own energy, um, very successful building in, in Taiwan. We can build buildings that use recycled materials. That's not stone, it's actually rubber tyres that have been recycled and made into, into bricks. We can do some very creative things. And this, I love this building. This is the World Games Stadium in Kaohsiung in Taiwan. Um, and I usually show it to my, my students if I'm talking about architectural detailing. And usually they run for the door but that, at that stage. Um, it scares them. But when I push hard, they push back. And they do things like this. Uh, this is sort of sustainable housing. Um, and I put this up. I, like, I quite like the concept. I was just thinking, I'm pleased it wasn't me having to detail it, and I'm pleased it wasn't me having to do the design management on it, because uh, it looks quite complicated. Oops, sorry, too fast. So I've tried to use this image that it's sort of a bit fragmented, and uh, the reason why our buildings are like they are is actually quite a complex area. And I'm not dealing with all that tonight, I'm just dealing with a small part of, of that. And one of the words I want to explore, or one of the concepts, is performance. Um, that means many different things to many different people. Now, performance, I'm talking about tonight, largely is about the design and delivery, or design and delivery team, and the performance of that team. You do it well, chances are you're going to get a good building. Don't do it well, chances are things aren't going to work out too well. But performance, it's also about the technical performance of the building. There's lots of things going on around you at the moment that you're probably not aware of. You might hear something in a minute and it's about the air conditioning or something. Um, but we, we're affected by our, our environment. And also performances within and around the building. That's something that interests architects. We, we produce containers for living in, but containers for performing in as well. Um, I'm performing tonight. You're sort of performing, but you're very passive. Uh, but we have a performance going on. And I wanted to use one or two cartoons here. The first lecture I ever gave on architectural management, I used some cartoons because I thought it was very difficult to use some images. Um, the architects in the room will be familiar with the work of Hellman. And this is taken from a cover of the book, uh, The Seven Ages of the Architect. I'm going to show you the first six at the moment. Um, and... It's about starting off as a, as a child, playing with bricks, and then going to school and thinking about architecture, and then going to architectural, uh, uh, to university architectural school. Well, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be an architect until, for some reason, I can't remember why, 
In the 70s, I was in Ipswich with my father. Um, apologies for anybody from Ipswich, but because it's not the most stimulating of places. Um, but we're walking around these, these pretty mundane streets and walk around the corner, and suddenly there's this gleaming building taking shape. And it's the Willis Faber Dumas building by Norman, Norman Foster, or Sir Norman Foster is now. And I saw that and I thought, that's it, I want to be an architect. So thank you, Norman. <laughs> you have a lot to answer for. Um, I then went to Brighton School of Architecture, which at the time was a good school, and had a reputation for producing less sexist but good office boys. So we were good at design and good at uh, detailing. Uh, they didn't teach us anything about management. And then, Hellman's sense of humour, once you become a student, then it's all downhill. I think my experience is it's not quite like that, it's a bit bumpy. Um, but then I went into practice, um, I then became a partner, and then became an academic. So it's definitely downhill. <laughs> so the early years, 1985 onwards, I'm getting old. It started something like this, and this is not necessarily unusual. Um, I was shown practice in Winchester, I was shown a board, and then the partner descended from the, these nice offices above and said, it started on site this morning, get on with it. And put a pile of drawings on my desk and a specification, I'd never seen a specification. Um, a bill of quantities, I'd never seen a bill of quantities. Um, and left. And I thought, what started on site this morning? Well, it turned out to be a school building in Hampshire. Um, so I started looking. I, thought, I didn't know what to do. I started looking through the drawings. And by about lunchtime, I thought, something's not right here because the, the general arrangements, the plans, and the details didn't seem to make any sense. They weren't coordinated. The specification didn't seem to make much sense. And the bills of quantities, I just couldn't understand because nobody ever talked to me about it. Um, by lunchtime, the partner came down with a big fax, big long fax, a fax machine had just been invented, and said, what the hell is this? And I thought, I don't know. And it was claims for extras from the contractor. And it's a very aggressive contractor on that project. So it's a nice hello to architectural practice. No attempt to, as the Americans say, socialize me into the culture of the practice. So by Friday, I thought, I need to get out of here. Uh, this is another Hellman cartoon. I had it on my office wall for a while, just for the, those dark moments. Um, you probably can't see on the, far, on the far side, it says architecture compound, keep out. And the architect is escaping to uh, sort of what is called, called life. Um, I still think it's quite an amusing photograph, uh, or sort of, sorry, cartoon. Um, Saturday morning, I went down to WH Smith in Winchester to try and find some management books because I realised that was what I hadn't been taught, and that's what I needed to do, and realised there weren't really any that would help me. Okay, and that sort of started my, my career in architectural management, in a way, or design management. Oops, what's in this Okay. So, six months later, the project finished. It was a six-month project. It finished on time. Don't ask me why or how, but finished on time. Not surprising it was over budget by a colossal amount. Don't ask me to repeat it, but it was a lot. And the building was very poor quality. So the client paid a lot of money for a poor building. The project, poor information. It was a very adversarial culture. It was pretty unpleasant. And there was no transparency. So we couldn't work out what was going on. Well, I couldn't work out what was going on. And the office was, uh, could only be described as poor procedures. And the partner invited me up at the end of six months and said he wanted to have a chat with me. And my knees were knocking. I thought I'd lost, I'd lost my job. And he said, I'd like to congratulate you on finishing the project on time. And I sort of laughed and thought, oh, very funny. And he said, he said that's the first one that's been done since I've been here. <laughs> so you think something's wrong. Time to get out of here. Excuse me. And that started my interest in architectural management. And I'm pleased to say the next project I delivered was a museum. It was, again, it was about, it was about a six, nine-month contract. Finished on time, just about on budget, 
and not bad quality, so you can actually do it. Um, but my interest was about this interrelationship between projects and office, and, and how it all meshes and how it inter interfaces. And that is a field called architectural management, sometimes it's called design management. It still fascinates me, and it's still something that people don't necessarily research too much. So, what I'm put to you tonight is that the architectural practice performance is fundamental to improving our built environment. If we get our projects managed well and we get our offices managed well, then chances are we're going to get a good building. If we get one or two of those wrong, then we're not going to get a good building. It doesn't matter how good the people involved and the processes are on it. So what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is a little bit about what I did in practice, because I'm still very proud of what we did in practice. A little bit about a couple of research projects, because I'm still quite proud of those. What's happening at the present in terms of architecture and the built environment, and future work. What am I going to do about it, or what am I going to, going to research? So, the architectural practice. I'd been in practice a little while. I went up to Cheshire. Um, I set up my own practice. I was doing projects that nobody else wanted to do, um, doing okay. And I had a phone call one night, and a phone call from a guy called John in, in Manchester from the PDA partnership. And he said, I'm looking for a design manager. Come in and talk to me tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And I put the phone down and I thought, well, what's a design manager? Not quite sure what one of those is. And I went to see him, and he said, the, the situation is we've got a practice. We're a busy practice. We're delivering projects pretty much on time, on budget, good quality, but we're not making any money, and we can't carry on like this. And he said, I want you to sort it out. And we had a chat, and I said, well, it will probably take me a couple of years. And he said, you've got three months. So, OK, right, we'll give it a go. So rather foolishly, or quite a good decision probably in the end, I decided to join the practice as a director, um, as a design manager. So the baseline, you know, very good practice on, in, from the outside looking in, but not making any money, so it's not unsustainable. And what we did over a period of four years, we monitored 40 projects. And I wasn't allowed to publish this, and I can only say certain things about it because I had to sign a confidentiality agreement. And I'm still tied by that, unfortunately. Uh, but I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the detail on those projects because it would have been a good, would have been a good paper, actually. Um, so what we looked at, uh, we're, we're playing with the idea of less waste and better value. Uh, I've just been talking to my, one of my PhD students about value and value management this, this afternoon. But that's what we were trying to do. And there's an old dictum in architecture, uh, well-worn, probably too well-worn, less is more by Van der Rohe. More or less, but it's you know, not always. Less is a bore, Venturi. So I'm sort of a man arguing for complexity. But more for less. Can anybody in this room deliver that? If you can do that, you're doing pretty well. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. But that's what we were trying to do. And I had this, this sort of idea a long time ago that you could, you could hear a good office, you could hear a good project. Um, probably people think, well, the guy's lost the plot, he's going a bit crazy. Uh, but I think you can hear a happy office, you can hear an unhappy office, the same with the project. And uh, I'm pleased to say that some years after doing this, I read a book by Bill Hubbard Jr., who talked about listening to the hum of the office and uh, writing about architectural practice. So I thought, it's not just me who's, who's uh, seeing the world in this way. Uh, but we, went, we looked at the performance within the office, and we looked at flow of work, and we looked at performance within project teams, and again, we looked at flow. Not easy to do. It's easier in the office because you've got your, your uh, staff with you. And a project is difficult because you've got lots of people coming in at different times. So it's more difficult to do, but you can do it. So in the office, we watched and listened to the flow, the hum of work. I sat in the office and watched what people were doing, listened to what people were doing. And we tried to find out what good and bad habits are. This is nothing particularly unusual doing this sort of thing. Uh, so see what was adding value, what was wasteful habits, there's quite a few of those. Then we discussed it between the staff and they were saying, really, does he do that? I didn't know that, all that sort of thing. And adjusted and monitored. 
and we played with the five whys. And I don't know whether anybody's tried this, but you say to somebody, why do you always do your drawing like that? Well, I've always done it like that. Why? Well, my colleague does it like that. No, he doesn't. Oh, okay. If you get to the fifth why, you're doing pretty well. As you use two or three, it starts falling down. And it's a good, a good thing to, to, to ask. So, doing this, we had some results. Working hours, people were working very long hours. They weren't being paid for it. They have been paid for a standard week. We had people coming in at a normal time, going home at a normal time. By, just by looking at what people were doing and not, not doing, sharing good practice. What was interesting is our clients noticed, and they were saying, actually, what you're doing is a lot better than what you used to do. Okay, because we were being more consistent. We were spending less time dealing with errors because we were sort of designing them out, if you like. And our profitability increased by about 8%. This all took, this was around about three months. So suddenly we were making money, and we hadn't been making money before. I was just doing some very simple things, looking at what we were doing. So, as my colleagues say, it ain't rocket science, but just relatively simple things. So we did the same on the projects. Watched and listened to the, to the, to the flow of work. Did the same thing, identify good and bad habits. Discussed, adjusted, and monitored. And we're doing that, and one of our clients came into our office one day and literally threw this book on the table. And he said, I'm fed up with construction. He said, it's rubbish. He said, I want, I want some changes done. And he said, I want you to do that. And if anybody knows the machine that changed the world, it's about Toyota and the uh, uh, Toyota production system. Um, and my partner, my, the senior partner, John, read it and said, what a load of rubbish, and threw it on my desk. I said, you sort it out. And I read it and thought, well, I don't know what that was. It got, had nothing to do with architecture. And I was really struggling with it. And I put it down and forgot about it. And the day before the client came in for his monthly meeting, somebody said, has anybody read that book? I said, I better have another look at it. So I had another read of it. I thought, actually, if you read between the lines and start sort of looking at some of these things, it probably makes a bit of sense. So we survived the meeting with the client, just. But we started trying some of the things that were in the world of manufacturing. And that was about simplification and looking at flow again, but in a slightly different way. Um, and we thought, how are we going to get our projects better? We've done a lot of things. We've done a lot to improve the, the projects. So we removed the cost consultant, the quantity surveyor, right? because we didn't think he or she was adding any value. Um, and we actually found, and we did the costing, we were doing most of it anyway, and we didn't find we had to do much more work, and it was a lot less hassle. So I thought that was quite good. So we're getting a taste for this. So we thought, well, what else can we do? How can we simplify projects? Um, apologies to any project managers, but we removed the project manager. And, and project managers get a lot of bad press sometimes, but sometimes rightly, sometimes not. Um, and we became architects and project managers. And what we found was we were doing this work anyway, but the client wasn't paying us. They were paying the project manager to sort of basically repeat what we were doing. So we were, suddenly the client was paying us a fee for this, and we weren't doing any more work. Great. But we're still having problems with quality, and we were dealing with projects that then, or probably in today's figures, probably about £10 million, and so not very big projects, but decent-sized projects. And we were having big problems on site and things. So somebody in the ultimate wisdom said, let's get rid of the contractor, and ha, 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 we can't do that. Well, actually, perhaps we can. So we did. We took out the contractor, and we managed, because the contractor was doing everything on subcontracting. So we dealt with the subcontractors. And we got a huge improvement in quality and a huge improvement in costs. And that's because we were working directly with the trades people. So this is all down to the machine that changed the world. In production, we were doing similar things, and it was working. Uh, some clients were happy with us doing this. Some weren't. It helped us, but a lot of contractors threw us off their approved list because they saw us as competition. But we became architects, project managers, and contract managers. And some of my colleagues in Manchester, we were in Manchester at the time, sort of said, well, what are you now? You're not architects. You're something else. Well, we thought we were architects. But... So results after four years. Build time, 24 weeks to 16 on, sand, on repeat projects. Pretty impressive, really. 
bill cost reduction by around about 32%. It was about 8% a year, and that was when costs were going up. So again, quite good. And the build quality, we used to get a building handed over to the client with a huge list of defects. And we got that down to around about one page of defects uh, by working directly with the tradespeople. So it made our life a lot easier. So we had more time to do creative work. It was a virtual circle. It was pretty good. And that really, this is what I think architecture should be about. It should be about working closer with clients, working with a design team. It wasn't just us doing this, the structural engineers and things, and working closely with construction. Um, that's my view of it. Other people have different different views. And that, if you do that, you can demonstrate the value of architecture. If you remove from it, it's difficult to do it. And there is a, uh, a myth going around that there's time, quality, and cost. You know, if you want something quickly, the quality suffers or the cost goes up and various things. And you can't have, the, the, the saying is you can't have something delivered very quickly. You can't have it deli delivered at a good price and good quality. Well, you can. I've done it. Other people are doing it. It's a, it's a big myth. So time, not a problem. Money, that's a sand dollar for anybody who uh, not sure about comes from sort of the warmer parts of the world, uh, from the beach. And quality, that's uh, Salisbury Cathedral. I didn't want to put a building up there, but uh, it's a, a reflection from the, from the window, the light from the window on the floor. Uh, conveniently looks a bit like a person because I think people are sort of fundamental to this. But you need a bit of logic. And what often happens with a project, we've got a project, every, we, a client wants a project, everybody runs around like heads of chickens and we get on with it. You need a bit of logic to stop, take stock and see what you're going to do. So performance after four years, continual improvements, that's really what it's about, doing little things all the time, trying to get better. I still try it as an academic, not sure I always succeed, but we keep trying, trying to do it. It's about mindset, it's about attitude, about a can-do. A lot of architects I speak to say, well, we don't do management because we're not taught it. Well, actually, a lot of architectural training, design training, is really pretty much very similar to management training in terms of what you're trying to do. It's about simplicity. It's very easy to make something complicated. It's very, very difficult to make it simple, but that's how you deliver the value. And we demonstrated the value of architecture because we were, we were in a position to, pro, to control design. And some of, my, some of the other members of the construction team get a bit upset when I start talking about control of design. But I think it, it needs controlling by somebody. It doesn't necessarily have to be the architect. And we control construction. Now, that's a bit unusual for architects to do that. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily advocate it to everybody, but it can work in certain situations. So I sort of felt I'd done what I'd done, uh, achieved what I wanted to achieve. And I was doing a PhD at the University of Manchester part-time, while also being a director of a, an architectural practice, which is a bit tough. Um, but I made the jump into being a full-time academic. Um, and I spent seven years to get my professorship, and that was in Denmark, Technical University of Denmark. And I called that the lean years, because I hadn't dealt with lean again. I'd sort of moved away from practice. I was teaching technology and various management, but not dealing anything with lean. And I got to DTU, and the first week I was there, I was invited to a meeting to talk about lean um, and implementing lean in uh, projects. So the lean thing started coming back. Um, and what we looked at was developing a, a values-based process model uh, between DTU, Technical University of Denmark, NEOMAS, who are engineers, um, architects in Denmark tend to stay a little bit away from construction. It's the engineers who tend to do the project management, do the management side of things. And they had a workshop model that they'd uh, developed. It was pretty sophisticated, um, but simple as well. They had come out of logistics, industrialized building processes, and lean. Um, and they asked us to look at it, see if they could do it better, because they still felt the projects could be better. And we looked at this as a research project, and things that were lacking were communication could have been a bit better, interaction, and this sort of issue of common values, what we're we trying to do, are we all on the same page? And that was their model prior to our research intervention. 
briefing design detailing. And what they used to do, they used to discuss these things before they did any work, which I'd never seen before, because the tendency is to just get on with it and do the work and then discuss it. So I discussed it first and did the work. And it was working quite nicely. But our research showed that there was something missing. And there were some very nice chairs, but we didn't think the right people were sitting on the chairs. So there's some people missing. Danish architecture. Danish furniture design. So what we came up with, and this was not just academics doing it, we were working with industry partners, was a values-based workshop model. Um, and what we had, we had this phase zero we put in, because they already had this model. And phase zero was everybody who was going to work on the project got together in a facilitated workshop and discussed what they wanted to get out of it and what they wanted, to, what was their real driver. And that sounds quite simple, but somebody's got to pay for it because you've got a lot of very expensive people sitting in a room for about a day. Um, in Denmark, the client users paid for it because they could see the benefit to them in the long term. Um, you do this in the UK and everybody jumps up and down and says, I'm not paying for that, so who's going to pay for this? Um, but it actually is, it is very successful. Um, and one example of this was uh, I was observing one of the meetings and they were sitting there talking about what they were trying to do. It's on a social housing project. And after about two hours, the architect got up and stormed out the room. I said, I'm not working with you guys, or worse to that effect in Danish. Um, and everybody was a bit shocked, and the project stopped. And then we had to find another architect to start the project again. Now, the good thing about that, it's not good because the project stopped and it was delayed, but the good thing about that, that architect would have fallen out with these people later on in the project. So we're dealing with the problems right from the start. And that is still something, that model is still running in Denmark. It's something we don't do very often. We don't do this. We don't sort of sit around and discuss what we want to get out of something before we do any work. You're not allowed to do any briefing, any design or anything. Um, so it's, it's quite a nice model. It's not used that much even in Denmark. But there are ways of doing this to deliver good buildings. And I had a PhD student sitting on this, actually uh, monitoring it, and it does deliver good buildings. And the message really was about going slow to go fast. Okay? And that sort of comes into some of the lean thinking, as it's, you can find it in other bits of management literature. Um, but you're trying to get everything sorted before you start doing the work. And we very rarely do it, and that's why we have buildings that are not performing as well as they should do, in my opinion. So performance. This is the Danish project, improvements in productivity. In some projects, not all, but they're pretty efficient anyway. Improvement in quality in all projects, on time, on budget, no conflict. No conflict, that's fantastic. If you have a working environment with no conflict, that's really nice. It's very difficult in construction projects, as most people involved in that will know. And improvement in stakeholder satisfaction. We actually monitored the stakeholder satisfaction with this. Um, so the client and all the stakeholders are very heavily involved in it. So, of course, they would be satisfied, but the, the satisf uh, satisfaction grew as we, as we got the, the model more sophisticated. So then I came back to the UK and did a similar sort of thing. We got a, a KTP, a Knowledge Transfer Partnership, with a company called Samwood Design and Build. And the intention was to apply lean thinking. And this was a company, they did a lot of social housing, and did really nice quality buildings. They employed their own staff, which is a bit unusual. These days, it wasn't subcontracted work. They employed their own people. But they were struggling, and it was in back in 2003, the recession was, was on. So the baseline was good quality. They needed to improve performance, productivity, and profitability. And what we did, we did three things. We did some collaborative planning, some visual management, and that's where you, you sort of put up what's good quality and talk about it. And we looked at interaction again, workshops. So some of the Danish experiences were cascading through into, into the UK. I'm just going to talk about the collaborative planning aspect tonight because I'm short for time. And we got everybody in the room to talk about how they were going to deliver their project. And this contract had been going a long time. These people in the room were quite experienced. And they'd never, ever been in the same room together. Okay? And we managed to get the architect there. And the architect didn't want to come along. 
you didn't want to engage with the builder and you only came because I was running the workshop and I was an architect. Yeah, that's a bit sad really. But anyway, we got him there and it was a good interaction. Um, and you can see them there talking about, these are not set up photographs, it's just me photographing them during the day. And this is them sort of trying to work out what's going on. And, and as you can see, uh, the, sorry, the, the image isn't very, well, you can't really see it very well at all, but just there is the project manager's program. And you'll see here is what the participants in the room had agreed to build. It was completely different. You'll see on the far side, there's four weeks, one, two, three, four, there's four weeks work to do. This workshop was on the Thursday. They were starting work on Monday morning. So they're already four weeks behind. And there's some work, as you can't see it, some work over here, also at the top there, that they, nobody could work out when it should be done or why it should be done. Okay, so it still wasn't worked out too well. And believe it or not, they finished, they had two parallel projects running. They finished both on time, on budget and good quality, because they talked about the problems before they started. So performance is a three-year KTP. These are the figures from Sandwood, they're not from me. The productivity around about 23%. Profitability, 27%. So there's a few other things going on there, and a few other issues. And improved working relationships. So all the employees at Sandwood got a big pay rise. And myself and my colleague, we won an Enterprise Award at Loughborough. So, a piece of perspex. And improved consistency and transparency as we, as we went through. And that's really what it's about. It's a very happy clients, actually, on this. And the message was really work together. And I use this photograph quite a bit. It's from Taiwan with a dragon boat. But you've got the drummer drumming at the front. And... As we know, if the drummer drums too fast, you don't win the race because everybody's worn out. If the drums too slow, you don't win. If he drums at, a, at an irregular pace, you don't get anywhere. And our view of projects is trying to keep things going at a regular pace. And often they're very irregular, and people are not quite sure whether they should be rowing or not rowing or what the, what the timing is. So, and When you put it all together... Um, it's difficult showing photographs of, of projects, and there's, there's lots of history behind, behind some of these projects, but you can do some nice things. Um, and I put this up because I love this building. This is in Ilan in, uh, in Taiwan. Um, the idea for the building started in 1989, and they took until, two, until 2002 before they started design work. That's because they were trying to work out exactly what they wanted to do. There's a few other issues going on, but they're trying to work out exactly what they wanted to do. So if you think of that normally, phone rings, we want the building next year. So, you know, it's sort of really thinking about this. The design took two years. The construction took six years, partly because one of the contractors went bust, but that's another, that's another story. Um, but the quality of this building is absolutely fantastic. Um, and things like this, you can tell there's not a cost consultant involved because... They do little, little features like this. They're quite, certainly for an architect, I love things like that. Uh, normally it's the sort of thing that gets designed out because it costs too much money. And the quality is superb. Um, and this is uh, real stone and artificial stone. That's, again, some of the rubber tires uh, being used on the, on the building. But it's about performance. If you get there, I got there early and I had a job to get in the door. It's absolutely packed, this building, because it's so popular. It's such a nice environment, it's such a nice museum. And, and that's what building should be about. And I had, to, I had to be dragged out by the people who took me around because I didn't want to leave. And if you can get that experience in a building, you've done particularly well, I think. It doesn't always happen. Um, and on a similar scale, on a, on a smaller scale, this is just down the road from there. There's some land the government are given architects to experiment uh, doing their own buildings. Thinking about the same sort of approach, this is a building called Aquastar. And the architect rents it out to, to actually pay for it, so I've got to stay in this for the, for the evening. Um, I'm not quite sure it's my style of architecture, but it, it works very, it's a lovely place to be. Um, and again, they're using the same sort of principles, working out exactly what they wanted to do before they're, they're starting. Um, delivering the building sort of on time, on budget, very high quality. And sort of very nice place in which to be. And it sits very nicely in its landscape, which is another issue we often don't quite get right. 
And when we do get it right, this is, a photo, this is an image again from Taiwan. I'm sticking with Taiwan with the photographs at the moment. But um, this was a commercial building um, in the center of a city that was finished on time, on budget, very high quality. And all of the workers signed their safety helmets, as, long, as well as the engineers and the architects, because they're so proud of what they'd achieved. Now, again, I put to you, if you can do that in a project, you're doing things right. Yep. So, so often we get to the end of a project and people are arguing and they're not too happy and keen to get on to the next one. So that's a nice, I love that photograph. So where are we at the present? Well, we're in a state of flux. I think we're in very exciting times, actually. Lots of things happening with technology. There's lots of things happening about how we should build, why we should build, where we should build, sustainability, all sorts of things. Um, but we still have a few challenges to deal with. Um, this is a cartoon from 1979. There's a client architect showing a client uh, his workers. And the client saying, haven't you got anybody a little more Baroque? Which I thought was, I find quite amusing. Um, but nowadays it might be, haven't you got anybody who can deal with cost? Or haven't you got anybody who can deliver on time? Uh, might be the, the, the same. Um, but we have a lot of stereotypes in, uh, in construction. And sometimes they're useful to hide behind. Sometimes they're not so useful, but they're not usually too far from the truth. Um, and the engineer, I love this. I think as an architect, I sometimes feel the same sometimes. But of course, personally, I wouldn't do anything more to it from 1935. We've got the frame up and that's it. And uh, probably some buildings we know, uh, probably that's where they should have stopped. I don't know. But, um, so that's quite a good one. And, and the surveyor. Um, the, I'm not sure we can read that at the back, but the wife's saying, for heaven's sake, Brian, can't you forget for one minute that you're a chartered surveyor? And it's a chartered surveyor, so they've gone up into the roof to inspect the, the roof space. Um, haven't been to too many parties like that, but that's, a, that's another story. But we're not immune from ridicule and uh, people making fun of us, of course, the architect. And we're often seen in a, in a very strange light by some of the other members of the of the profession. Um, I took the view not to wear a bow tie this evening. But the reality is it's not so clear. It's a very muddled picture. And you know, what is an architect these days? Well, I'm not sure there is such a thing as an architect. It, it's a person for many different roles. What is an engineer? What, is a, you know, what are some of the consultants doing? We're doing quite a lot of different things, and that's because, partly because the technologies are changing. And it doesn't necessarily, doesn't really matter in a way what your background is, it's what you can actually deliver. So you might find I'm doing a bit of the technologist job, and the technologists are doing a bit of my job. It doesn't matter, as long as we're doing it in a, in a good way. Um, and some of the challenges and opportunities. I put this photograph in because I love it. It's a... Uh, it's a Fukudu, Fukuda, Fukuda uh, sculpture at the Fukuda Museum in, uh, again in Taiwan. But it's not photoshopped. I don't know whether the light's good enough for you to see it anymore. But lots of different images, lots of things going on. Um, and that's really the reality of what, how we find ourselves at the moment. It's, it's not clear. This picture isn't always very clear. Um, and this is a, a poster from site. Don't get too close. And actually, as a profession, as architects, we've withdrawn from construction. And it's well documented in the research literature, really, from, uh, from 1940s, certainly 1950s. We've pulled away from construction. So the question is, how can you demonstrate value of architecture if you're not involved in construction? You're not involved in construction. You're not too involved with a client quite often. So it, it can be very difficult. So don't get close. I think we should get very close. And when you don't get close, you get some issues. And these photographs I took last year on a site in London, which will remain nameless where it was, but they're complete mess-ups on both of them. Um, there's guys trying to fit some glazing. This is quite high up in an internal atrium. Um, this is in a BIM model, building information modeling, building information management model. Uh, nobody thought about how they were going to fit this. And the contractor had taken the scaffold down on the inside of the atrium. So they couldn't work on the inside of the atrium. And what they had to do is they had to shut it because it's so dangerous. Uh, so they couldn't work in there anyway. 
maybe thought about it. And the other guy on this side, he's, he is tied on, I believe, so sort of be careful on that. Um, but they'd built the building and they hadn't worked out how they were going to get some of the plant in, uh, some of the air conditioning uh, machines. And they were, they were actually, this is central London, winching it up and into the building. And as you're not, surpri not surprised to know, there was some damage caused to that under the plant when they put it in. So we're, getting, we're still getting things wrong. And this is a, a very good contractor, a very good set of architects, very interesting building. Uh, but they, you know, we hadn't engaged too well with, with construction. My big issue all of my life, quality of information. It's, believe it or not, we've got the IT technologies have got better and better and better. We're getting really good with BIM and things at the moment. The quality of information has just gone through the floor. It's appalling. Um, and I quite often have arguments with people about this, but um, the evidence is, is probably on construction sites where you think, around about 2000, there weren't many design managers on a construction site. Now every big, medium-sized contractor's got an army of design managers trying to get to grips with the quality of the information. Uh, that's despite all the IT. I think this is in a transitional period. I think it's going to change, but at the moment it's a bit of a mess. And part of this is because we, we don't understand what it is we're designing. We're, we're, we're not connected enough to construction. And there's some... Well, I won't say what those comments are on those drawings, but there's, you know, they're not very good, basically. And these are the guys trying to work it out, how we're going to build it. Well, you shouldn't be asking that question. And this is two days before they started on site. Should have been dealt with a long time before that. And that's why you get so-called value engineering, trying to save money. It shouldn't be done just when you start on site. Should have, everything should have been sorted a long time before. So value engineering, no value and no engineering. It's not a good thing to do. So how come nothing is coordinated? That's a good question. I don't understand that. Um, I really don't understand that. We have some very intelligent people in construction, but we don't seem to communicate. We don't seem to work together very well. Um, but the BIM technologies, this is from one of my research projects in Sweden. These are reinforcement people, Celsa, Celsa Steel. They can do anything you want in terms of scheduling, delivering, uh, sequence of assembly. Can they sell it to the contractors? No. Contractors aren't interested. They just do it how they make it up as they go along on the site. So that's something we're working on at the moment with a project to try and educate the contractor as to why they should be using the BIM technologies and using this knowledge. And it's for free from the steel people. Strange. And BIM, I'm not going to say much about this because the time is going on, but building information modeling, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of uh, press about this at the moment, there's a lot of hype. Um, I don't think it's all it's cracked up to be, to be honest. But we are on the far side, delivery BIMs, you've got architects, engineers, various consultants doing their own little BIM model, and then somebody's trying to coordinate it. So it needs to be one model. And then they're trying to coordinate that, then they pass it on to facilities management to, to deal with. Um, it should be one model. And we're a long way from that at the moment. We're getting there, uh, but we're still a long way from it. So there are issues, there are problems with it. And I did do a presentation a little while ago when I was talking about beyond BIM. Um, I'm looking forward to the next step. Uh, but we're still struggling to get to BIM in the industry. So this is the problem of being an academic sometimes. You, you're, you're thinking too much about what we should be doing rather than dealing with what is actually happening out there. And I guess what I'm arguing for really is sensitivity. It's getting in touch with materials, getting in touch with what we're doing. And I've, I think we've lost touch somehow along the way. I don't know whether it's the technologies or what's happened, but we've lost a little bit of touch with what we're doing. I think it will come back. I'm very positive about this. I think we've got a very... We're just in this state of flux at the moment, uh, but we're going to get through it. So the students in the, in the room, you should have a good life. I think it should be better than the, than the career I had in a way, or easier than the career I had. So the question is, what am I going to do about it? Well... I keep chipping away at various things, but my interest is architectural management. It's about performance. I want to see better buildings around me. I want to work in better buildings. Um, I want to live in better buildings. So where's the performance? Where's the theatre? What's going on? Um, well, this is a quote from a, an architect 
couple of years ago to me, and I was talking, I spent about 30 minutes talking about management, and the architect said, we don't want more management, we want better management. And I thought, I wish I'd said that, because that's exactly what it is about. And it sometimes takes that sort of moment to get that clarity. Um, and this is really sometimes what you feel like you're doing. This is a Fukuda drawing. Um, and I guess you can view that picture whichever way you, or in various different ways. Uh, but you've got people sitting around a table trying to, well, probably with different perspectives or trying to work out what they're, what they're doing. Um, so we're, my argument is we need some flexible management. Architects don't like tick box mentality. I don't like it either. It doesn't work. Um, we're creative individuals, architects, engineers. We don't respond well to you know, tick the box and you've, you've, you've finished what you're doing. So we need to have some better management to, to deal with creative processes because it's the creative processes that are the, the most important part, actually. So where is the theory? Who's doing the shouting? Uh, I was going to put a picture of a person up there, but I thought I'd better not, so uh, I didn't. But where is the theory? Well, there's a network been going since 1992 on architectural management. Uh, uh, CIB is an international network um, where people from around the world, researchers and practitioners, come together to develop, develop the, the, the knowledge. I've been involved in that since 1994. I was a coordinator of the group for five years, um, which is hard work but quite rewarding because you get to go around the world and have conferences and talk about things. Um, but the question is, have we developed the theory very far? And I don't think we have, really. We seem to have got a bit stuck. Um, so architectural management, the critical debate. Well, the first book on architectural management was published in 1964. And that was a response to the RIBA's report, the architect and, sorry, sexist, but the architect and his office. His office. Um, and that was sort of basically said that architects couldn't manage. And it's something that some of the other members of the team have used against us for sort of quite a few years now. Uh, my first paper on the subject was as a practitioner, because I, I was trying to make sense of it all. That was in 1994. There was a lot of frustration and angst in that, really, uh, sort of trying to work it all out. Um, and it's taken me a while to get things together, but I have got things together. <laughs> You'll be pleased to, the dean will be pleased to know. Um, and this year, we had two papers published. One is a definition paper on architectural management. That's never been done before. We've, we've done that. And a framework paper. Um, we're setting out the agenda for what, not what we're going to do in, in the future. So we are trying to move the, the debate forward because we feel it is very important. So where are the tools? We can do some very nice buildings, of course, but have we got the tools to do it? Well, there are a lot of tools out there. And some are appropriate, some are not. Um, and the old saying goes that a fool with a tool is still a fool. Um, we don't always get the right people using the right tools sometimes. But I'm going to come back to this go slow to go fast because I think it's very important. Um, and we try and to talk to our students to try and do this as well, get things sorted before you start writing or before you start drawing and various things. Um, now, if we're serious about improving the quality of a built environment, we need to do things differently. And what we're doing at the moment, we're tinkering around with things, sort of uh, sustainability, low carbon, various things. We're not making, we're not rethinking the process. And that's what we're trying to do with our new master's program, modern building design. We're trying to rethink that process, trying to really get to grips with what we're doing, because I, th I think it's time to rethink it. I think we've got stuck, we're doing things in a very old fashioned way. Um, and we're not, we're not delivering value to our clients in a lot of cases. Um, and this is about, Talking about values, what is it we're trying to do at the start, before we do any work, and then briefing, making sure that we understand what it is the client wants before we start designing. Okay? Now, what happens, of course, is we start doing the briefing and designing at the same time, and we, we don't really often we go off on the wrong tangent. We don't often understand what it is we're trying to do, and that's a, that is a big problem. And we don't discuss values either. Um, and somebody I've, I've looked at this and had a PhD on this student on this for four years. It is a very tricky area, especially for an architect. You know, getting into values, it's quite a difficult area. It's sort of social psychology sort of stuff. But it, I think it's something we need to, to deal with. And my time is heading there, so we're getting there. This is what we've come up with as an architectural management framework. I'm not going to bore you all going through it. 
Um, but we try to keep it relatively simple. And this will be uh, coming out as a guide for architects, hopefully, in the next year or two as a book. Um, but we're looking at office management, trying to get that as efficient as possible in project management. And what we came to the conclusion was that managing stakeholders, as architects, members of the built environment, we're not often very good at managing the stakeholders in a project. We just assume it's going to be okay, and it often isn't. The rule of entropy, it's sort of, you, know, you put this team together and it starts falling into bits the day you put it together. And it's about managing, managing learning, and that's about learning in the office and in the project. And there's some research that's been done. It's something that caused me some issues over the years as a practitioner. But we finish a project and we start another one, or chances are we start another one, two or three before we finish the project. And we rush off and off we go, we go, we go. We don't stop and learn from what we did. We're very bad at it. And there's some research done on this. It's not just my views, it's the research done on this that we don't do it. Uh, we need to do it because it's very important. Go slow to go fast. So it's about managing learning. Um, so that's about CPT and learning for project. We could put architectural education in, in that box as well, of course. Um, the office management is about systems and people. It should be relatively straightforward, but it's something we, again, as professional offices, we're not always so good at. The bigger practices generally are, are better. And the managing of stakeholders is about briefing in that team assembly. And that's really the, the fundamentals of that, of the framework. And, and our view is if we, can, if we can deal with all those issues, relatively, in some ways quite simple, but in other ways it's quite a complex interrelationships. If we can deal with that, we can get some, some good value, some, we can demonstrate the value of architecture, we can deliver good value buildings to our clients. That's really what it's about. We'll be in a better built environment. Um, so that's something I'll be working on over the next few years. And the idea is that is, will be a guide for architects and probably engineers, architectural technologists, to enable them to, to hopefully get a bit of clarity on some of the projects, because that isn't out there at the moment. And the aim is we can come up with some, some nice buildings. Those who know me know I'm not a big fan of concrete, but I'll put a concrete picture up just to try and deal with my prejudices. And I'd like to extend an invitation to the people in the audience that, to come and work with us. Um, if you've sat there tonight and thought, well, I was interested in what he was saying, then come and have a chat to us and we'll see what we can do. If you're thinking it's a load of rubbish, definitely come and have a chat and we can have a, have a discussion about it. Um, but as, at Bath, we're very interested in engaging with, with industry, very interested in, in trying to do things better. We're not, we're not just dull old researchers sitting in our, our office. We tr do try and get out occasionally. Um, so that's the invitation, again, with a Fukuda drawing. Um, I'm not that supple, actually. But and just to say thank you, I've kept the seventh age of the architect from Hellman to the end. Um, this Hellman's sense of humour. Um, I'm hoping I can do what I want to do before I get to the final stage and fall off my column. <laughs> so thank you very much for your attention. <laughs>